This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. With all of the mistakes made by companies, especially in the last several months with firms like Facebook, Wells Fargo, Volkswagen, and a rather endless list, it makes you wonder what the thought process is with many of them. The pressure to be successful and turn a profit in some cases may be leading employees to do things they might not normally do. And because these of these missteps, companies are having to pay out large sums of money as somewhat of an I'm sorry to the public and their investors. They are doing, in some cases, big media campaigns to regain some of the public's lost faith. The question is, why take the risk? Bob Meyer is co-director of Wharton's Risk Management and Decision Process Center, as well as a professor here at the Wharton School, and he joins me in studio. Bob, great seeing you again. Good seeing you. It, it is kind of incredible to sit back and see all that has occurred with so many different companies on so many different fronts in this area over the last three to four years. Yeah, definitely. We are absolutely living in the era of the apology. And uh, and in some sense, it's sort of it's an area which has grown in which there's uh, a lot of management consultants are, are in the business of trying to figure out how to best craft, best craft the apology. Uh, so, you know, one could always raise the question, why do we need the apologies to begin with? I mean, why not have better management that, pre- that precludes the need for having them? But, but for I think for a lot of reasons that you're just talking about, these things do happen. They're often unpredictable by the firm, and the firm firms feel they need to do something with uh, uh, the apology is the, the standard way of going about it. Do you think it, it is as simple, and, and we've mentioned this in the case of Wells Fargo, but do you think it is as simple as just the pressure that is being put from the C-suite on down, in the case of Wells Fargo, it seemingly was, uh, to reach certain criteria whatever that production piece is, reach that criteria point, and it just puts more and more pressure on those people that have to try and reach those numbers. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, th- that is sort of one of the things that for that 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 basically they're in. On the one hand, uh, you're kind of in the business of of uh, of trying to make money, and in all these different organizations, Wells Fargo being a really good example is that that you have higher up management might be giving uh, sort of broad brush objectives, but it's sort of the foot soldiers in the trenches that are basically have to figure out how to deliver uh, deliver on it. And and unless there's just absolute perfect policing of all of these different. Activities, Activities, things are going to go wrong, uh, and and from the very top, it's very difficult to anticipate how these little sort of uh, things could basically spiral out of control, and suddenly you have a public relations disaster. And, and now you're seeing a variety of companies doing these PR campaigns. Facebook's done it. Wells Fargo is doing it uh, as well right now to try and recoup some level of trust. Uh, in the consumer right now. And, and from your perspective, do these types of campaigns really work? Uh, actually, they do. Um, uh, it, from the perspective of, you have to kind of look at it from the perspective of what if they hadn't hadn't apologized. Right. And uh, uh, and so, for example, there's some, a lot of research goes way back that, for example, uh, uh, doctors who, uh, you know, a malpractice suits, for example, uh, you know, it turns out that apologies sort of significantly reduce the number of suits which are filed, and it also reduces the judgments that are made. Um, uh, th- that having been said, it doesn't necessarily, in fact, it absolutely doesn't remove 
remove the, the re, re, immediately restore um, uh, public faith in the in the organization. It's sort of I think for a lot of these companies, it's wondering if we don't do it, what is what, what how de- how deep can can we fall? And uh, so so basically, that's sort of driving it. It's the worry about what happens if we don't. Well, and it's interesting because, and I'll take this from two perspectives. When you look at the banking sector, and we're going to be talking with Bruce Van Zandt later on in the show. Uh, the banking sector with a decade uh, since the recession is still, uh, you know, viewed in many cases uh, as not trustworthy in some in many parlance. Yeah, that's really interesting because uh, the banking sector uh, is sort of classically the one which tends not to apologize. Uh, yeah. And part of it is, is that when you think through when you do an apology, you, you kind of have a, there's a lot of stakeholders. And so one of the stakeholders is going to be you have investors and what they're looking for in their institution yeah. is strength. OK. And and uh, and trust in the sense that that if they claim they're going to do something, they're going to do something. Uh, uh, a a classic example of a non-apology was uh, uh, Lloyd Blankfein in 19, 2010 yeah. uh, was brought in front of Congress, and he was. They were asked in, the, in kind of an analysis of the financial meltdown. Um, you know, uh, how could Goldman do this? On the one hand, you're basically selling to a lot of your customers uh, mortgage-backed securities. Yeah. Uh, yet, well, at the same time, you're also uh, betting against them. You're shorting them uh, to, to other customers. And so, yeah. how can you possibly do this? This seems to be morally bankrupt. And how can you? possibly live with yourself and all that. And his reaction was kind of one of no apology whatsoever and just simply said, look, we're, this is what the business that we're in and we, we and, uh, and people want to be exposed to these, these um, instruments and we're exposing them to them. And so in some sense, actually, they came out fine with that, uh, basically, because a lot of their stakeholders, that's in some sense what they wanted to hear, that there yeah. was this uh, venerable institution that basically um, promises to do X and it does X, and and it's this sort of it signaled strength, okay, in a way which uh, at the same time, for example, uh, uh, that was happened at the same time BP oil spill, and they yeah. have BP at the yeah. other time. If they had come back and said, "Look, we're in the drilling business, and uh, and you know this is the stuff that happens," it would have been a disaster. And they so they they had to be in a position just to preserve the brand name of having a profound apology. Well, if you go back in time, uh, you know, I remember growing up, you would see occasionally when a company made a mistake, you would see the full page ad in the newspaper, uh, whether it be the New York Times, whatever the, the paper may be, saying, you know, we are sorry, we made a mistake, this is how we are repairing it. I, I guess to a degree, even the apology, the I'm sorry has developed because of all the, the different evol- uh, evolutions in technology that we've had over the last couple of decades. Yeah, sure. And, and it's also the way in which apologies, apologies are given. Uh, it used to be the case when uh, the, you know, the full page ad, as you subscribed in the New York Times or whatnot, would kind of do it because everyone reads the New York Times. But now all of a sudden you're in a situation where the way in which people are in contact with companies has become really diverse. So with the social media playing a pretty pivotal role. So one of the things that's causing, maybe the, raising the cost of apologies is that now you basically have to run a full and pay and fund a full-scale, effectively advertising campaign, advertising your apology. We are joined by Bob Meyer in studio. Uh, Bob is co-director of the Wharton School's Risk Management and Decisions Pro- Decision Processes Center. Uh, we are talking about the I'm sorry's that companies seemingly hand out and your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Do these I'm sorry's work for you? 
the consumer, the ones listening to us right now, do they work for you? Do they resonate with you? Or do they are they just kind of water dripping off your shoulder at this point? 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111, B-I-Z Radio 111, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. When you think about some of the most recent ones, uh, like with Facebook and Cambridge Analytica, uh, we saw a lot of conversation going on about whether or not people would leave Facebook. Some people have, but it hasn't been a mass exodus like we expected. Uh, Wells Fargo, I don't think we've seen a mass exodus of people leaving their bank accounts there, although we did see a lot of companies decide to move money that was being managed by Wells Fargo. So that's an interesting component to this of whether or not a person who is impacted by this decides or decides not to move. Right, exactly. Uh, and, and to some degree, of course, the, the difference between the two of them is uh, bank accounts are a lot stickier, and, uh, and and so therefore it's a little bit harder to move your bank account. But but I think that that's an interesting um, um, uh, juxtaposition, because Facebook, in many respects, a, a lot of it, it's the its whole business is based on people liking it and trusting it and so forth. And so in some sense, for them, um, for, for them, the, the whole brand name is at, is being threatened by uh, by a belief in, in in a, in a decline of trust. Um, the, the, the irony is, is, is with, with Wells Fargo is that on the one hand, they're kind of between a rock and a hard place because on the one hand, if they don't apologize, it's going to be bad for business. But for the reasons I talked about a little bit earlier, in the context of banking, where you're entrusting your money, which is a whole lot, you know, which in some sense for a lot, most people is a whole lot more serious form of trust than, yeah. um, uh, than some of your, uh, you know, your online conversations. All of a sudden, if a company comes back and says, gee, we screwed up. We weren't really watching the farm. Uh, you know, your reaction for a lot of people is going to be, well, thank you for the apology, but also, <laughs> yeah, but, but at the same time, you know, I don't want to be involved with a company which basically is admitting that it doesn't have its house in order. And, you know, you're claiming that you're going to get better, but, well, how do I know that? You, you mentioned a moment ago about the action that a company has to take to show that they have addressed the issue. Uh, thinking again, most recently, ABC, with what happened with Roseanne Barr and the comments that she made, and making the move to cancel the show as quickly as they did. Now, obviously, there were certain factors that play into this, one being the head of ABC Entertainment, uh, that division of ABC, is an African-American woman, which obviously seriously offended her, but also the fact that this was one of the most popular shows on the network right at this point. It was very much a financial benefit for ABC, Mm -hmm. yet they decided to cut bait quickly. Yeah, absolutely. And some people would look at that as a, as a really good example of how you have to do more than to stop the bleeding, than just simply say, have an apology and say, we promise we won't happen again. That effectively what this is doing is it's a very, very strong, tangible signal that we're willing to suffer. We're willing to basically take a, 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 a very, very large financial hit in order to repair, uh, uh, to repair what we would see and most people would see as a, as a very clear wrong. And I think that would send a very, very powerful message. Um, uh, and actually, if you look at kind of most of the work that's been done on apologies, uh, it, that that the more you can do that, the more you can kind of show a tangible repair, uh, the more effective it's going to be. Um, uh, one of the sort of the tech 
textbook ca- cases of uh, classic apologies that worked was um, uh, back in the, uh, the the Tylenol deaths in the early sure. 1980s. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and what they did was they came out and Tylenol came back and said, well, you know, we apologize, obviously, but, but what we're going to do is immediately pull the product from the shelf and we're going to uh, have new tamper-proof bro- bottles that are going to be brought back. And so in some sense, what you're doing in one, in one swoop is it would not have been enough just to apologize for it and promise we'll, 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 we'll be more careful next time, but taking an actual costly, tangible action. And there's really no difference in terms of the impact and the perception, whether this, as you said, with the Tylenol deaths, you're talking about the impact on people or comparison to Wells Fargo, where it is a financial element. Both have the same type of negative impact. It's, ju- it's just how it is perceived by the public, correct? Right. Absolutely. And uh, and so in, in the other thing that's a bit of a difference, of course, is that Tylenol was able to recover because people recognize that, look, this is an event that they couldn't have foreseen. Uh, it was effectively a terrorist attack. Uh, and so it was sort of an outside agent. What's a little bit more difficult for Wells Fargo is this is a problem they created themselves. Uh, and yeah. so that, in that sense, it's a little bit more difficult to recover from. Well, how, how difficult is it, though, for the company to management, manage it when it is technically a third party that is causing the problem? I mean, a, technically, you are not part of the issue, but you are still responsible for it because it ends up, as you said in the Tylenol case, being your product. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. I, I think one of the real challenges in risk management is um, trying to, uh, to to understand or be able to predict third or fourth order effects of management policies that you happen to have, uh, particularly when you're dealing with third parties. Uh, that you're effectively, you have a, as soon as you set up a set of incentives, these are our objectives, these are the people we want to partner with. Right. Uh, effectively, good risk management requires you to do the due diligence of playing all the possible what-if scenarios in terms of saying, you know, given this incentive, what might uh, this incent an employee to do which may not be completely legal, and how is this going to harm us down the road? Uh, that's very, very difficult to do, and I think most firms uh, will look at the surface uh, uh, in terms of what, what are the, the reputational risks that they face, but trying to get down to the minutia of those, what happens if a third-party vendor that we're dealing with does something, that's often a type of thing which firms don't necessarily do 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 diligence to uh, to anticipate. Well, it's interesting because seemingly it feels like this perception of the "I'm sorry" to a degree has really changed quickly. And I say that because in preparing to talk to you today, I was looking at various articles, and and one that came up was from just three years ago, and it was in Fortune magazine. And the title of the article was "Beware of the Pitfalls of Saying I'm Sorry." So, I mean, realistically, this is. This is a shift that is a 180-degree turn relatively in a quick fashion. Yeah, it's, certainly it's the case, as I, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, there are downsides to saying I'm sorry, uh, uh, that effectively uh, uh, being mild and being apologetic and whatnot kind of conveys weakness, and it doesn't necessarily uh, give you the feeling of trust that you're trying to restore. Um, it, it actually could have potentially the opposite. Um, the, the other one, of course, is, is that if, a, if a, a CEO or a manager of a firm uh, is too quick to apologize, uh, effectively it's un- it could potentially be undermining the employees that are there and the, and the feeling that they've got. And they said, look, I had nothing to do with this. And all of a sudden, um, effectively, the company is throwing all of us under the bus. Um, 
uh, that, that, for example, the issues that are involved in Uber, for example, uh, that there, it's not like it's necessarily a problem that's universal to all of Uber, but nevertheless, it's the case that um, yeah. that through that apologies, it's sort of hurting a lot of the downs the, the people who are not involved in that at all, and that's a that's a real risk. Well, and, and when you think about something like Uber, I mean, we have obviously seen a variety of stories that have come out of that company over the last couple of years, yet seemingly people. Uh, you know, whether they have negative feelings towards Uber, it doesn't seem like it is impacting their bottom line, whether it be here in the United States or around the globe, and especially around the globe where we've seen some attacks on people by drivers of Uber yeah. by yeah. not doing the due diligence to, to make sure that these are reputably, reputable people who should be driving a car and working for the company. Right. I, I think that in many respects, kind of the goal of the apology is not so much to, to make the thing go away or the people who really felt, felt most wrong by it to feel right, but effectively it's to immediately stop the bleeding and then uh, make it be uh, make it be yes yesterday's news. Uh, so effectively, we've come in, we've apologized for it, let's move on. And in companies like Facebook or like Uber, where effectively uh, they're, they're only one of a small number of providers that people depend on, I think people would prefer that this didn't happen, and they're kind of more than prepared to kind of move on. Um, uh, you can think of it in terms of your own private relationships. It's sort of like if you have your an argument with your spouse, uh, like right after you just get married or something, yeah. uh, uh, then you, know, the, you really want to move on. Uh, you want the apology, but then you really are interested in moving on. It's the problem is, is then when it gets to be the uh, the tel- the twelfth or the twentieth apology, then it starts to get, then you have problems. So uh, yeah, that that twenty first apology is yeah. not going to sit real well yeah, with a lot right. of the a lot of the consumers. Yeah. We're joined with by, by Bob Meyer here in studio. Bob is co director of Wharton's Risk Management and Decision Processes Center. He's also a professor uh, here at the Wharton School. Your comments are welcome at eight four four Wharton eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. I guess to a degree, there's no expectation that this this pattern of I'm sorry for a lot of these companies is going to stop. Uh, I mean, these companies see the economic benefit on one side and they see the repercussions that they have to face as a less economic evil on the other side. So yeah. if they yeah. see a net net on the plus side, they're probably still going to continue to do these things. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think whenever one of these things happen, uh, it's the it's the expectation of the public now that the company is going to come out with a forceful apology. And such that if you don't do that, that's basically seen. It's not necessarily once you do it, it's not going to make the public feel better. But on the other hand, if you don't do it, there's going to be, you know, very, very large, potentially reputational harm. And for I'm thinking about uh, you might even argue that that some of the things that companies are apologizing for now um, uh, wouldn't have been apologized for in years past. But for there's sure. just sort of the I'm thinking of the case with the Pepsi Cola ad from last year, and and then uh, it it, um, it being a thing where where you, you know. Ten years ago, that would have been a, a, a very small incident that would have gone uh, unnoticed. But in this case, there's just so much of an expectation that if anything goes wrong, firms need to be right out in front and offer the the, the apology. Well, and of course, with the with the whole Me Too movement right, right. now, uh, you know, when this is happening in a corporate uh, setting. The companies now know because of all that has gone on, especially in the last year or so, that they have to try and get out there, get out in front and show 
what they have done and that they're going to try and prevent this, these types of things from happening ever again. Right, exactly. And, and I think one of the real challenges, though, is, as I just mentioned, it, you can, like, it's the one apology I think can be fairly successful. It's one incident and there's basically a recovery from it or profound apology. You can kind of move on. But the worry would be that all of a sudden, if it ends up being um, uh, several more apologies and several more of these things, that becomes more difficult to react to. So I think that, that for a lot of firms, a lot of firms, the external way of reacting to these events is through a forceful public apology with uh, with expectation with um, in, uh, with forceful actions to repair it. But then internally, there's really got to yeah. be uh, a system put in place to make sure that you don't have to apologize again. Because the second time and the third time it happens, then you've really then your brand goes away. Not only the system, but but in some cases, changing the system right. so that you're not following the path that may have been followed over the last five, ten years, yeah. whatever it may be. Right. And and have an effective change so that people feel you know feel comfortable. And, and I guess to a degree, this also plays down, filters down to the employees of the company as well, who may not be involved in this. But since there is such a a, a rush by companies to make sure that that employees are effective, but also that they feel comfortable in their setting, this also becomes a very important piece on that perspective, so that. Companies are not losing mass numbers of employees in situations. Yeah, absolutely. And, and kind of as an example, you brought up the the, the whole Me, Me Too movement. Uh, this is a type of thing which I think one of the ways in which firms are reacting to this is to say that within companies, even if their own company wasn't really subject to this problem, the mere fact that it sort of happened out there, or if it's let's say if it's an isolated incident of harassment within um, two people within one branch division, kind of the response that most companies are undertaking now is to say. Look, this could happen to this could happen to us, and effectively, you're you're seeing a widespread increase of uh, of sensitivity training of, yeah. of, of making sure that people understand what harassment is and what it isn't, and that you may be harassing people and you don't know that you're harassing people. Yeah. And and this kind of part of training is all of a sudden is a way in which is an indirect way behind the scenes in which companies are reacting to this to make sure that 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 they don't have to issue the apology. But I guess also playing into this. And I mentioned the fact a moment ago about if companies see a net-net economic benefit that they will continue down this path, there's also the perspective of who are the people that are involved in this. And obviously the difference in mindset between the baby boomer generation and the millennial generation we know on a variety of fronts is much different. And seemingly it may very well be in some cases in this particular topic, and it may mean a a shift as we move along even farther because of millennials having a more important role uh, in the business sector, in communities, in government, on a variety of fronts. That, that's an interesting question. I, I don't know of any work that's looked at whether or not, for example, uh, millennials are more more expectant of apologies or whether or not they're more likely to be uh, to be influenced by them. But basically, there are, I think, certainly generational and context differences in terms of what would be considered things that you need to apologize for and what are expected norms of behavior. Um, uh, but definitely, it would be the case that um, that for millennials, which sort of represent for a lot of companies a, a major income growth stream, you know, these are people you got you, you don't you want to keep these people happy, and you want to make sure that they have that that uh, that you uh, that you have their trust. Is it your expectation though that that we will continue to see these types of I'm sorry's continue from the corporate sector? Because th there doesn't seem to be. A reason. I mean, there are many reasons why they should get this stuff correct. Yeah. But from the economic perspective, it, it doesn't seem to be. 
Yeah, I, I, I guess like like everyone, I would I think we wished we would love to be in a world where we didn't have to apologize, where where companies were one step ahead of the game, were able to kind of look downstream and and look at their policies and say, uh, given this policies, given the set of incentives this sets up, what are the possible <laughs> things that could go wrong? And then given those possibilities, you know, do, do ri proper risk management and mm -hmm. kind of look to make sure that you have policies or safeguards in place that basically prevent things from going wrong. Um, unfortunately, I think that's a little bit optimistic and unfortunately I think that we'll be probably be seeing a lot of these apologies. But as you mentioned, it's going to keep a lot of PR people very, very busy oh, uh, in the years to come. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's it's sort of the whole business of the apology, as I said. It used to be the, the one-page ad and now it's basically a full advertising campaign. Great seeing you again, Bob. Thanks okay, for coming thanks in. A lot. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.